resurrection, life. Jesus is going to tell us about his discourse today. That the words that he has to tell us, the words that he had to tell this crowd, were words of life. That's what they were. So the sermon title is The Hard Words of Life. It comes from John chapter 6, verse 16, down through all the way verse 71, down through the entire chapter. So it's going to be a big, big passage, but we're going to move, move, move through it pretty quickly. But let me pray again and ask for the Lord's help and trust that He'll give it, and, uh, and then we'll get into, into the sermon. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we need your help. We need your help to uh, hear. I need your help to be able to preach in an understandable way. Uh, God, I ask that this would be um, profitable not only for these people, but God, ultimately, uh, I ask that my words would be honoring of your word. I want to be faithful to your word. I don't want to go up, uh, above it or beyond it or uh, to minimal uh, minimization of it. I want to be faithful to what your, your words have to say. So help me just to hold out this passage in front of us and help us just to eat. Help us to just, we're about to eat real food here in a little bit, uh, but that real food is fake compared to the food that you offer the real food, the food that we can have in Christ. And so help us to come to you and just enjoy you this morning. Holy Spirit, clarify my words, point them to Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, in John 6, 63, here is what is so just incredible to me about this passage. In John 6, 63, Jesus is kind of recapping what he just told the crowd. Now, to bring you up to speed, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men. It wasn't just men. We know there were little boys there as well because there was a little boy who offered up bread and fish. And you got to watch Jesus do the impossible. Jesus invites his disciples last week into this impossible activity of watching God work and watching God provide for not just 5,000, but most likely even up to 20,000 when you can consider the families who are going down to Jerusalem for Passover. So Jesus just fed the myriads, just all these people, just thousands upon thousands of people. And then we're going to see here in a second that, that the, the crowd, after Jesus leaves, they go and track down Jesus and, find, and they find him. And then Jesus begins to address this massive crowd. He begins to talk to them. And so when Jesus is reflecting back on the discourse, he's, he's finishing his conversation with this massive crowd of people. And he says, verse 63, says this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So what we have today, what we have on the platter, okay, to eat, to enjoy, to think about, we have words that are of spirit and words that are of life. I mean, this is wind to our sails, life to our bones. This is really, really good stuff. Spirit and life. Give me some of that. I'm excited. I want to hear what that is what is the spirit words and the life words and that's how we would expect people would react we would expect if jesus is offering up here's some spirit here's some wind for your sails and here's some food here's some life here's life to your dead bones you would think people would say please i want it give me that but it's interesting the response of the people the people didn't respond that way they in fact listened in the flesh and here's how they respond in verse 41 in this conversation back and forth with this group of people, this massive crowd. Verse 41, it says the Jews grumbled. In verse 52, it says the Jews tried to dispute with Jesus. They were disputing with Him, not agreeing with Him. In verse 61, some of Jesus' disciples who were in the crowd who had kind of 
believed a little bit, in a sense, that Jesus is who he says he is. In verse 60, some of the, uh, the disciples said, this is a hard saying, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? So Jesus says that it's spirit and life. Some of his disciples say, this is hard, who can listen to it? And then in verse 66, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. They heard what Jesus had to say. Jesus says, spirit, life. And they hear it and they say, no, I don't like it. And they turn and they walk away. So up to 20,000 people end up walking away during this sermon. By every measurement of successful speeches that you can just kind of put on the board, Jesus fails miserably if he's just trying to gain the crowd. Because 20,000 people, upon hearing him say what he says, they, be, they listen and they're like, I don't like that. That's not life. I don't like, that's not, that's not wind, that's not life, that's not spirit, that's not life. I don't like it. And they just walk away. They leave. They don't listen to him anymore. And little by little, in this conversation with the crowd, the crowd just kind of thins out and thins out and thins out and thins out all the way till we have Jesus in the twelve. And he looks at the twelve and he says, do you guys want to go away as well? You can. Do you want to? By the end of the sermon, we're going to be sitting with the twelve and Jesus is going to turn to us. He's going to turn to you if you're new to the Christian faith, you came on a good day. If you're new, just exploring the Christian faith, you came on a good day because Jesus will look at you and say, you want, do you want me? Or do you want to go with them? So how do we receive these words as spirit and as life and not as death? Because Jesus says what he says, they disagree, and for them, the words were more like death. The masses disagree. Jesus' words, in their mind, weren't good. They didn't like it. So they just walked away. And so for Jesus' words to be life for us, it's going to require the work of the Holy Spirit. Even for us who are walking, for the 12 that, that did follow Jesus, it required them to believe. It required the Holy Spirit to work in them to stay. Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away? So here's what he said. The flesh is of no help at all. It's the Spirit who gives life. So if we hear the words that Jesus has to say in the flesh, we won't like them. But if by the Spirit of God we hear, then we'll say with the disciples, you have the words, we'll agree. They actually say the exact words. You have the words of life. And we have believed that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? Whether we like it or not, where are we going to go? These are the words of life. And we've believed that you are who you say you are. So we need the Spirit's help today. You need the Spirit's help. I need the Spirit's help. And if you're in here and you're not a believer and you're just exploring this thing, you need the Spirit's help. So here's the deal. The masses go away. What in the world did Jesus say? Like, what was it? I mean, what was it that was so bad that sent 20,000 people, up to 20,000 people, just saying, forget it. I don't care. I can't hear it. Who can handle this? What did he say? say well let's look at it let's look at it now this is a large portion of scripture admittedly I'm going to miss some of what is here 
much of what is here, maybe. Uh, Jesus kind of gives us an open fire hydrant force of truth. So we're kind of just standing in front of it. And it comes at us and it just hits us strong. So we're going to try to step back 30 feet or so to where we can kind of handle it. And ask the Lord to help us to simply just, let's, let's bear what Jesus has to say. Let's consider it and let's not run from it. Let's drink a little bit. Starting in verse 16 down through 23 in John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat. Started across the sea to Capernaum. It was dark. and Jesus had not yet come to him. The sea had become rough because the strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, it is I, don't be afraid. They were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land which they were going. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. The other boats from Tiberias came near to a place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now, this is interesting. It really is interesting. In verse 16 and 17, the disciples leave Jesus. They leave him. They got in the boat. Where's Jesus? We don't know. They didn't wait on his instructions. They didn't wait on his directions. They're their Lord, they'd come to believe that he's the Messiah. They said, where is he? We're not waiting. He should be here. They get in the boat and they leave him. The disciples walk away. And so Jesus, getting done spending time with prayer with his father, they're already three or four miles out in a storm. Jesus is like, they're gone. So he's like, oh, they're out there. So he walks out to them on the water. I mean, Jesus shows that he is in charge of the elements. He did this before. He turned water into wine. Uh, he uh, spoke to the wind and the waves, said, peace, be still. And the, the wind and the waves said, you bet. Okay, we will. They obey him. Everybody experiences shock and awe. Who is this Jesus that can speak to the wind and the waves and the wind and the waves obey? Here is Jesus walking water because the disciples had simply left him. But then we see in verse 24... Uh, we see in verse, uh, excuse me, in verse 23, we see that the crowd, discovering that Jesus had left, the crowd actually goes and does what you think the disciples would do. The crowd begins to seek after Jesus. If anybody's going to seek after Jesus, you would think it would be the disciples. But it's the disciples who leave Jesus, walk away, Jesus have to, or row away, Jesus goes and finds them in the boat, and then they're immediately where they wanted to be. The crowd looks around, they're like, where'd Jesus go? It's the next morning. Where'd the disciples go? Well, there had been some more boats that kind of accumulated in the bay there. And so they decided, we've got to go find this Jesus. So this huge crowd is willing to travel land and sea to go find Jesus. They are zealously pursuing him. They are in hot pursuit. We have to be near this Jesus. In verse 24, it says it plainly. So that when the crowd saw when Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into their boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Getting our children, just two of them, in our little Kia is a task. 
getting your family and getting a crowd in a bunch of boats to go seek Jesus is a bigger task. There are tears, there is crying. To go seek this Jesus out, the crowd had to work. The kids had to listen to their parents. They say, hey, don't do that. Don't get in that spot. Sit in that spot. Listen up. Don't jump overboard. They went to find him. Travel land and sea to get him. And what will Jesus do? The crowd finds him. Is Jesus going to rail into the disciples and say, why'd you leave me? And then commend the crowd for coming to find him? Naturally, if we're listening with the ears of the flesh, we would think upon Jesus seeing the crowd that Jesus would come to them and say, thank you for finding me. If only more would seek me in this way. If only more people would abandon everything, abandon their post over here across the sea and come just to be with me, then the world would be a better place. You'd think Jesus would come and kneel down and talk to the kids. He does this often. You would think he'd put his arm around the people who came and find him and said, way to go. Fist pound, high five, hug. He had just fed them the day before, filled their bellies with bread and food. And you would think, maybe he's thinking, they're coming back to thank me. They're coming to spend time with me. What will Jesus do? Remember the wristbands? What would Jesus do? such a hard question to ask because he's such a wild card in the best sort of way. Jesus does something we don't expect. He doesn't honor, hear me say this, Jesus is not going to honor their seeking of him. If we listen to this in the flesh, it's not going to make sense. We've got to listen in the spirit. Jesus is not the masses who are seeking him. He's not going to honor it. And I want you to see that. Verse 25 to 30. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs. In other words, not because you recognize that the signs point to me as the Messiah. Okay? Remember, the signs aren't the point. They point to the point. So it says, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill in your belly of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. They said to Him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you would believe on whom he has sent. So this crowd actually finds him. They find him. You've been looking for something before and not found it. It's frustrating. A puzzle piece. You just sit. It's right there. It's only a 24-piece puzzle. Where is that piece? It's frustrating to not find what you're looking for. The crowd finds what they're looking for. The disciples left him. The crowd came to find him. But we know Jesus by now. He's going to do something unique. In verse 26, he says to them, You're only here for me. Here, here's why you are seeking me. You're only here for me because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's why you're here. In a moment, he could have brought a commending spirit or he could have went and got, gave them affirmation. He tells the crowd, 
You're only here because you want more food in your belly. You're not here because you think I'm the Messiah. You are here because you want me to do for you what you want me to do for you. What you want is my provision. You don't want me. And he pinpoints a generational problem throughout this globe. A seeking of a Jesus who will give me what I want if I will only submit to him. Who will go after him hard as long as he is fulfilling my dreams and my desires. You may have heard it stated like this. You're not dreaming big enough. Give God your desires. Give him your life. Give him your dreams. Give him everything. And watch Jesus work. And Jesus is like, what you love is what you love, your dreams. You don't love me. You see me as a stepping stone to getting what you actually want. You're not here because I'm the Messiah. You're here because you want me to do another magic trick for you. Well, I want healing, or I want provision financially, or I want whatever, so I'm going to go and do some Jesus stuff. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do whatever I can, so he'll give me what I want and need. Jesus is saying, I'm what you need. Certainly, he gives bread, but he's something more than bread, than giving bread. He's something more than that. And if all we want is a Jesus who gives us what we want, we don't want Jesus. We want what he can get us. This crowd is so much like the world today. People have not changed. People have not changed at all. Here's the deal. Give Jesus your dreams because he's got better ones for you. That's the truth. Submit to him Trust Him and say, Jesus, my life is yours. I love you. I'll do whatever, I, whatever you want me to do. I'm not here to come to you and tell you what I want and then expect you to give my wants and bring them to fruition. I'm, I'm here to submit to you and say, whatever you want, Jesus. This crowd wanted Jesus to do what they wanted. They wanted to control Him. People still come to Jesus in this way. Jesus said at verse 26, you're only here for what I can do for you. You want more of that. And then Jesus turns the conversation in verse 27 and he says, Hey, how about this? Labor for food that endures for eternal life. Labor for, like work for something supernatural. Aim your life at something supernatural. And not simply for food that you eat and goes out of the belly and is gone. In verse 28, he answers, Well, what in the world does that mean? What is the world does it mean? What's Jesus, Jesus calling us to seek? Well, he's calling us to seek something spiritual, not something simply physical. What does it mean to do the work of God, they ask. And Jesus says, believe. The work of God would, would be to believe in me. And Jesus introduces this idea in this section, small section within this story. He introduces them to this idea of spiritual food. And this is the way the conversation is going to go. He's going to start talking to them about bread. He had already talked to the woman at the well about water. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus said, I'm the living water. If you'll drink of me, you'll never thirst. Now he starts talking about bread. And the crowd is going to respond in similar ways. Anybody in here love bread? Kids, you love bread? I love bread, so I work with Ryan, and it's great. I get free Pepperidge Farms bread. It's expired, but it's still good. 
So good. Potato bread, sourdough bread. I love it. It's great. Jesus is going to talk about supernatural bread. He introduces them to it. We're going to go back to at the end of this sermon. We'll be back in verse 29, but we're going to put a pause on verse 29 for now. Now, the conversation switches. They, they hear bread. They start thinking about supernatural things, and their mind immediately goes to, because they're as a good Jewish crowd, they immediately start thinking about how God has provided for them in the past. They start thinking about God's provision through Moses. And there was a time when God's people was walking, they were walking through the wilderness. God had brought them out of Israel, or of Egypt, excuse me, and brought them to wander before they entered into the promised land. In those 40 years of wandering in the desert, God supernaturally provided for them food, manna. Manna, what is it? They start referencing this manna as bread. And they talk to Jesus and they say, Jesus, are you greater than Moses? Are you doing something greater? What are you talking about here? Bread. Bread. What are you talking about? Verse 31, it's like they're saying, you want to talk about food, Jesus? They say this, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you true bread from heaven? For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So this is very innocent of this conversation with the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus is saying, I'm supernatural here. I can do something that this physical representation can't do. Water can't satisfy you eternally. Jesus starts talking and saying, I'm bread here. I can do something if you will eat of me. If you will drink of me or if you'll just eat of me as if I am spiritual food, you can have life. Verse 34, they respond in this way. Just like the woman at the well. Remember when she says, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to come back and drink ever again. The crowd looks at Jesus and they say in a strikingly similar way, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. And then in verse 35, Jesus drops the bomb. He says in plain language what they couldn't bear to hear. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever would come to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the very bread of life. Jewish people, crowd, masses, what you're wanting in life, satisfaction for your belly, is indicative of your great need. You need satisfaction of soul. And in the same way bread will take away that physical hunger for a minute, that longing, that nagging ache that won't leave you, I will satisfy it. I am for you spiritually what this bread is for you physically, but it's in such a greater degree because Jesus says, I will satisfy you forever. John Piper said it like this. It's Jesus saying, I didn't come to give you bread. I came to be bread. And to this day, moms, dads, kiddos, here's the deal. Jesus is eternally satisfying. If your soul is struggling, 
Go to Jesus and eat. Think about what Christ has done for you on Easter. And we'll have an opportunity here in a little bit. If you're weary and tired, if you're just tired inside, if you're sad, depressed, whatever it may be, what you need is not a temporary satisfaction. What you need is satisfaction of soul. What Jesus can do for you again. And maybe you've forgotten your first love. But Jesus is here week in, week out, day in, day out. And we have an opportunity by the grace of God to turn our attention and just remember what Jesus did for us. This is how God shows his love for us while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us. And we can eat of the bread of life. Certainly, Jesus will do things for us. He did something for my wife and I and our little boy. Took care of my little boy. Certainly, He gives bread. But He's more than the bread giver. He is, in fact, the bread Himself. And we can come to Him this morning and eat and enjoy as we think about what He did for us and as we worship Him for what He has done for us. We are eating of Him. Eat that bread Drink that living water. Well, this is quite confusing for this crowd. Because here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to turn to this crowd now, and he's going to say, but here's the problem. You don't believe me. You don't really believe that I satisfy. You don't believe that I'm this kind of bread. I imagine at this point, the crowd is beginning to thin out, at least in Begin, Jesus begins to say these things. I can imagine the crowd being like, oh, he's not going to give us more bread? I think it's time to get on to Jerusalem. I think it's time to move on out. I think I've heard enough. Jesus isn't going to do for me what I want him to do for me on my time schedule. Time schedule weirdos out here. According to my plan and my way, all right, I don't need him then. I'll find something else that works. Jesus said, here's the problem. You can't believe what I'm telling you. You don't even have the ability as humans to believe what I'm telling you. He starts to say some offensive things. Verse 36, we're going to start talking about human inability. What a delightful thing to talk about. Have fun talking about that with your children. Verse 36, Jesus says this, But I said that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. He says to the crowd, here's the problem, you're not believing. And Jesus is quite discerning. He knows. He knows the crowd is here for the wrong reasons. They just want bread. So how does Jesus handle the pain and the hurt of a group of people, a massive amount of people, walking away from him? How does he handle a group of people who want him for all the wrong reasons and don't want him for all the right reasons? Where does he go for comfort when you walk away? When your friend walks away? Or my dear friend, a brother right now, I think is a brother who's walking away. What does Jesus do for comfort? How does he handle the masses leaving? Because as I said a couple weeks ago, who handles the masses, who handles losing popularity well? It's crushing to so many. So the people start to leave. How does Jesus handle this? He trusts his father. Verse 37 to verse 40. 
Jesus says some profound things that have confused people over the years. We're going to work, work through them rather quickly. In verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is my Father's will, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up. When the crowd walks away, Jesus trusts his Father's will. And he begins to open up to us mystery. And this little verse brings us into some truth in the entire Bible. And one of the reasons that biblical theology is superior to every philosophy in the world is because the Bible is going to tell us things plainly and invite us into mystery and not ask us to figure it out. And if you have to figure God out, if you are not willing to come to God and submit even your mind to Him as He speaks to you, then you, in fact, are playing the position of God and laying demand on God to speak to you in a way that you can fully understand. We actually, in trying to laying the demand to God that we know everything before we can believe what He says, we actually put ourselves on the throne and expect God to get in line. Jesus is going to say something that no philosopher in the history of the world has said. And it requires the spirit, not the flesh, to figure this out because you can't. It requires the spirit to submit to what Jesus says. For, that, for us to be with the twelve at the end is for us to say, I'm going to deny my flesh here. And I'm going to, by the spirit of God, listen to Jesus. Without my palms getting sweaty and without turning my back to him and without walking away, I'm just going to listen with everything I've got by the grace of God and say, yes, Jesus, these are words of life. Jesus said in verse 37, all, the Father has give, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus is stomping on our theological boxes that we've put him in. Smashing it, kicking it to the side, saying, here I am. The Father wills Jesus to lose nothing that he gave him. So here's the deal. God the Father, I preached on this even in our, my sermon at the conference, gave the Son a gift, gave the Son a bride, chose a bride, gave people to the Son. And all the Father has given the Son, all of them, all these people, will come to the Son. All that God has given the Son will come to the Son. And if you have come to Jesus, if you've walked the aisle or prayed a prayer or whatever you've done, it's because God the Father gave you to His Son as a bride, as a gift. That's the reason you did that. And every single person that God the Father gave to the Son will repent and believe. 
in Jesus. Every one of them. Every last one of them. Jesus didn't come to try to get a bride. He came to rescue his bride. And every single person God the Father gave to the Son will come to the Son. Every one of them. Unquestionably. Will. And then the second part of the verse, because if we just focus on that part of the verse, we can get a whole and build this whole entire theology void of being fully biblical. Because the second half of the verse says, And whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. So God the Father gave individual people to the Son. We don't know who those people are. He didn't give everyone that's ever lived to the Son. Gave individual people to the Son a gift. Here's your bride. Jesus comes to love his bride specially and to rescue them. And then here's the result. And only God could write something like this. Because if I was writing something like this in my flawed logic, all the Father has given me uh, will come to me, I would write, so just trust him, everything will work out. And who knows, if you come to him, great, you're his. If not, whatever. But I wouldn't write whoever. I wouldn't say the word whoever. I would just say whoever it is, you, you, you don't know. Uh, but it's all set and no worries, just it all worked out in the end. And if you're not part of the crew, if you're not part of the bride, too bad, sorry. But that's not what the passage says. Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, if you don't know him, if you'll come to me, if you will willingly come to me, I will have you. I will never cast you out. And this message goes to the entire world. If you will have Jesus, Jesus will have you. Whoever comes to Jesus will never be cast out for all eternity. If you come, your eternity is secure. Jesus will not lose you. His grip on you will eternally be tighter than your grip on him. Because brother, sister in Christ, there's going to be a time in your life when you can't hold on to Jesus very strongly. When it takes everything you can to even believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But what you don't realize is this eternally strong grip has a hold of you and he will not lose you because the Father gave you to him. If you'll come to him, you will never be cast out. Verse 38 and verse 39 say the exact same thing. Verse 37 says that what, what it says, what we just talked about, verse 38 and 39, are commentaries on verse 37. Now, here's when the grumbling begins. Jesus says this, and the grumblings start to happen. The Jews are like, wait, what? Okay, don't tell me what I am or am not going to do. Don't tell me that I can come to you or not come to you. Don't tell me, God, don't, don't tell me this. They start grumbling. They don't like what Jesus has to say. So in verse 43, the Jews grumbled because he said, I am the bread who came down from heaven. Jesus, you can't be this bread who came down from heaven. They didn't like what he had to say. In verse 44, Jesus tells them something that enraged them even further. I want you to look at it with me in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the crowd, it's been thinning out. They start to crumble. <laughs> Not crumble, they start to grumble and leave. And Jesus looks to them, and I can imagine seeing this massive crowd leave, and he's saying, no one can come to me 
unless the Father who sent me draws him. He begins to speak to them about their inability. And if you want to make an American upset, tell them there's something they can't do. If you want to tell us in this room, if you want to get us upset, have Jesus tell you, me, you don't have the ability to do something. And oh, by the way, this is the ability that everybody else in the world tells you you got. You can freely do whatever you want, the world says. You're the master of your destiny. You're in charge of your life. You create your own future. You're in charge, the captain of your own soul. And Jesus is saying, you can't come to me. You don't even have the ability. And you start to understand why the people began to walk away. Jesus is exposing about us some things that we don't like or want to be exposed. Things that we don't believe. Remember, these are words of life. Jesus looks to Jared Sparks and says, as a little boy, you can't believe in me. You don't have the ability to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws you. And if I was an unbeliever right now and listening to this, I would be frustrated with that. Yes, I do. If I want to, I can right now. I just don't want to. Verse 45, Jesus says something even further enraging. In verse 45, he says, only those, 45, he says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So the crowd that had Yahweh, the crowd that had the promises and the covenants, this group of people, Jesus is saying, you've not learned from the Father, that's not why you're not coming to me. Verse 46 to 51, he closes out this bread conversation. And he tells them, for the sake of brevity, he tells them that if you'll eat of this bread, he reiterates some things that he had said before. If you'll eat of this bread, you will live forever. You will live forever if you'll eat of me. And then as we get toward the crescendo of this stuff, in verse 52 through 59, Jesus even further confuses the crowd because he starts talking to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And if you're in that crowd thinking about Jesus' words, Jesus said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, you'd be thinking, that's weird. Well, they did. And now we're going to jump down to verse 60, and we're almost done. Hang with me, even kiddos, hang with me, we're almost done. In verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, who would not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So the crowds started grumbling, and then there's a noticeable shift in verse 60. It's not just the crowds. 
It's the disciples, not the 12, but the larger, either 72 or the people who are walking around with the 12, like the roadies, the disciple roadies who are walking around with the 12. Jesus looks at the disciples who are grumbling. Looks at the disciples that are grumbling after they say, this is hard, who can bear it? We know that Jesus knew this would be offensive. He tells us that he knew that there were going to be people who leave and walk away. And that's why he turns to this even now smaller crowd and saying, the flesh is not helpful in understanding me. If you're using strict logic, if you're using just A plus B equals C here, I blow all that stuff up. And if you just come to me in the way that you understand, you're never going to get this stuff. It takes the Spirit to make the words of life be words of life to you. So if you believe Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, it's not because of you. If Jesus is telling a group of people, you can't come to, you're not able to do this, and the people are all upset about it, for those who do come, and if you'll come here today, you come because God is doing something in you. If you're a believer, which a majority of us are, it's not because of you. If we are a believer in Jesus, walking with Him humbly, it's because God has done something to us. He's drawn us. He has opened up His fatherly affection upon us and said, come to my son, be his bride. He has extended grace and favor to us. Because in verse 65, no one comes to Jesus unless it is granted by the Father. And so if you have come, if you have walked the aisle, if you have knelt as a little boy or little girl like I did in my kitchen at 606 Carbon Street back in 1988 with my dad and mom, as I kneeled to pray as a little boy, it was because God the Father was being gracious to me and granted me to come into his kingdom. He was kind to me and gracious to me. Well, the crowd begins to leave even more. Verse 66, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, as they hear what Jesus is saying to him. In verse 66, it says this, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So 20,000 in the crowd to 20,000 all the way down to the disciples and then the 12 disciples. All of his other disciples now are saying, forget it. I don't like it. This is death. This is not good news. This is not good news. Peace out. And there's the 12. There's us. And Jesus turns to the twelve. He doesn't ask them if they understand it. He doesn't ask them to have it all figured out. He just asks them a simple question. He looks to them, says this, verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Does Jesus' words send you away? Will they send me away? Verse 65 proved to be the straw that broke the camel's back. They couldn't handle it. But the twelve had a different response. 
the twelve turn to Jesus. He turns to them. You want to go away? And here's what Peter says in verse 68. Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter agreed with Jesus. Where are we going to go? And that's what real, true disciples do. We say to Jesus, Jesus, say what you will. I'm not going anywhere. You will not, by God's grace, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to leave with the masses. If it requires me to submit my mind to you and not understand some things or not be able to figure some things out, that's okay. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. You are the Holy One of God. You are who you say you are. What Jesus, you say is good. What you say is right. We're not going to come to the Word and correct Jesus. True disciples agree with Jesus. So here we go. Andy, you can go ahead and come on up. When we hear Jesus tell us that He is the bread, He doesn't just give us bread, that He's not here to make our dreams happen, He is here to be our dream. He's not here to give us bread, but to be bread. Will we say amen to Him when His timetable is not the same as ours? When He doesn't do for us what we want Him to do for us, will we look at Him and say, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. When he tells us that we can't come to him on our own, we haven't come to him on our own, that we are unable to believe and that our flesh is at no help at all, will we agree with him and say to Jesus, like Peter did, you know what, Jesus, I am unable. I was unable. But Jesus, you are able. Will we agree Jesus, verse 29, says this is the work of God that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say this is your work for God. It says this is the work of God that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, you don't know him, kiddos. If you want Jesus, you're at that point, you've been here, if you've been feeling conviction of sin, feeling bad for what you're doing, you don't know why, tell your mom or dad, say, you know what? I love Jesus, and I want to tell him I'm sorry, and I want to trust in him. And mom or dad or whoever else, if you're in here and you don't know the Lord, uh, then uh, your opportunity is here to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. You'll in no way be cast out. And if you do, you will experience the very work of God. And here's the point. God does not... He gets 100 There's not one hand clap reserved for me and for my work. The work of salvation is grace and grace alone. So non-believer, if you're here, don't walk away from Jesus. Don't walk away from the with the crowd. Step into the impossible and believe. Father, we thank you for your grace. Jesus, you are alive, that your words are life. Resurrection word we're talking about this morning. Help us to you and to honor you. It's our joy to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hmm.